0: If you brought a copy of scripture with you this morning, you can find Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And it was in this year, in 1517, 500 years ago, that a young Augustinian monk had had enough. He'd had enough of the excesses and false teachings of the Roman church, and when... The man Johann Tetzel was going around and raising monies in the church's coffers for the basilica on the backs of the peasants. That was enough for him. And Luther famously nailed the 95 theses to the wall of, or rather actually to the door of Wittenberg, or Wittenberg Church. And uh, this would incite what we would know to become the, the Reformation. Now... 75 years earlier, the printing press was invented. That's a huge, significant, providential thing because the printing press didn't exist in the days of John Wycliffe, it didn't exist in the days of Jan Hus, Uh, but it did in uh, Luther's day, and so his friends took these 95 arguments, these 95 theses, and distributed them all around the empire, and particularly in Germany. And this would be the shot heard around the world, literally. The Reformation had begun. Of all of the characters of the Reformation, Martin Luther is virtually synonymous with the movement. A movement, I might add, that put the Bible back into the hands of God's people. And not just into their hands, into their language so they could actually comprehend read and understand the word of god and not just that but it reasserted the movement led by luther reasserted the authority of the word of god as opposed to the authority of popes and councils etc sola scriptura was the cry of the reformation the bible alone is our authority and it also became the movement by which God's plan of salvation was once again made clear and removed from all this, this convoluted stuff of adding this and adding that. And it's Christ alone, Sola Christos, etc. The movement did this. But admittedly, the very thought of Martin Luther conjures up a lot of different things for a lot of different people, probably right here in this room. If you're ignorant, You think of Martin Luther King. I'm not not kidding you. I've had people say, well, you're talking about Martin Luther King? Now, Martin Luther King was was named after Martin Luther, and he certainly was a political reformer for the African-American movement, for sure, and a great man indeed. But that's not who we're talking about. If uh, you are a Roman Catholic, you, you might quote the Pope in that day who called Luther a wild boar set loose in the Lord's vineyard, tearing things up and ruining the establishment. If you're a former Roman Catholic, as myself, you look at him as a hero. He inspired a courage rarely witnessed. On the other hand, if you're a Lutheran, you might also look at him in a very similar way as a hero. But if you're a former Lutheran, such as our very own Pastor Kurt, Having been delivered from false teaching on baptismal regeneration, which, by the way, the Lutheran church still holds to to this very day, Martin Luther might represent to you someone who did not take the Reformation far enough. And in fact, not only that, but actually doubled down on some of its sacramentalism, such as baptismal regeneration. And if you're a Jew, you might be hung up on some of the anti-Semitic things that came out of his mouth, especially in the latter part of his life. Uh, Some would say because of his illness, but there was no excuse for some of the things that he was saying. So what do you do and how do you look at a complicated man who is synonymous with the beginning of the Reformation? How do we see Martin Luther? I have thought long and hard on this. And... As I did, the Lord brought to my mind a passage of Scripture. Uh, so long before, uh, long before Sarah and Abraham, that couple wanted a baby. Okay, I, I, sh- I should say long after. Long after Sarah and Abraham and long before Mary and Joseph, who weren't ready, they didn't think to have a baby just yet, there was another couple, Manoah and his wife, in the days of Judges when everybody did what was right in their own eyes whom God came to and announced that they would have a child. Now, you know who that child was, many of you. It was Samson. Samson, known for his might, his power, uh, that God had supernaturally given to him. But if you know the story of Samson, you also know that the, it doesn't end there. He was a very fleshly-driven man, a sensual man, a worldly man, and indeed, a defiant man. who defied the ways of God and the restrictions that were placed on his life as a Nazarite, and if you know the story you know that he ended up being captured by his enemies the philistines his eyes were gouged out he was chained up and in the last his last act was to to be a showman for thousands of philistines in a in a theater chained to, to these pillars and at that moment humbled his life one more time to God, asked him for his strength back, and he literally brought the house down, killing more Philistines in that act than he did throughout his entire life. Samson, and when you think about Samson, you talk about complication, and yet when you go to the Hall of Faith chapter in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, he's listed amongst the heroes of the faith. I tell you that because When Martin Luther came, I think he was like Samson. When God came to Samson's parents and told them that they would have a child, he said something that has always been very interesting to me. I don't even know if you've ever noticed this, but God said to Samson's parents, he, that is Samson, shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Have you ever read that? He didn't say he's going to complete it. He said he's going to begin it. In fact, as one commentator put it, God knew that Samson would not actually finish the job. Samson would not would only arouse Israel from its oppressive uh, slumber. Samson did not save Israel from the Philistine oppression. He only started the process. Unquote. Now, couldn't that be said of Martin Luther? Go like this, yes, yes. Martin Luther was raised in a very humble home. His dad was a coal miner, wanted something much better for him, so poured his life and money into Luther to become a lawyer because he was brilliant, his head and shoulders above all the other students, and he was going in that direction. Except when he was 21 years old, he was going home and a thunderstorm, a bolt of lightning uh, nearly killed him, just completely knocked him off his feet. He was so petrified, he cried out, St. Anne, help me and I'll become a monk. Oh, by the way, St. Anne was the patron saint of coal miners. Martin Luther would have grown up praying to that idol, but he meant it. He threw himself into monkhood. In fact, he he would later say if anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was was I. So he's like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 who says, you know, I was a Jew amongst Jews. I did this and that. But the things I counted, you know, worthy for me, really, were I I had to count as loss for the sake of Christ, right? To get Christ, to gain Christ, to have Christ. Luther, like, many today, and some of you perhaps, inverted how the righteousness of God came about, believing that one must act righteous in order to become righteous, rather than becoming righteous that one might act righteous. In fact, in his frustration, he once said, I hated the phrase, the righteousness of God, unquote. The reason he hated it was because he was not righteous before God, and he knew it. Martin Luther was an Old Testament scholar. He knew the Bible. And if you're know, if you an Old Testament scholar, you know by the law comes the knowledge of what? Of sin, and so he was constantly living under guilt. While he himself was a priest, priest had to go to priests to confess their sins like anybody else. So he would go to priests, different priests, for hours on end, confessing His sins, he literally wore the priest out. They were fearful when they'd see him coming. They were playing rock, paper, scissors to make sure they didn't have to do it. Not really. I don't think it had been invented just yet. In fact, one priest said this to Luther. If you're going to confess so much, why don't you do something worth confessing? (laughs) On a personal note, I might have been a practicing Roman Catholic, but I was not a devout Roman Catholic. But when I came to know Jesus as my Savior, uh, I did have a friend, and some of you who are from the Wire Sear Falls area will know. I had a friend whose name is still around. His name is Brian Carlson. He was actually converted at the same time as I was. He was a devout Catholic. Went to confession every four to six weeks. Went to church all the time. Went to Mass. I mean, this guy was as devout as you could be, but he was still guilt-ridden. Would spend a lot of time in the confessional. And still not able to... Get rid of his guilt. And I tell you that because I think there's a lot of guys like Brian. And I think maybe some of you are that way. You're very sincere. Maybe you're like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who was incredibly sincere, gave alms to God, helped build you know, a synagogue and all this, but he wasn't saved. In fact, I wrote this down. I think sincerity does not save, but I'm convinced God does not ignore it. And God, God knows you're sincere, but I'm here to tell you, your sincerity will not save you. Paul said in this very same book where you turn in chapter 10, he, said, he's, he says, Brethren, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to go about their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Have you ever read that? And then it says this in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. And that was what helped Luther come to Christ. In fact, it was actually chapter 1 in Romans where you're looking right now and these epic verses that turned his heart around, where it says, I am not ashamed, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. That is, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the, the Greek. For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, or to faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by what? By faith. The subject in that text you're looking at is the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We saw it depicted in the waters of baptism moments ago. Its substance, the substance of the gospel, okay, The subject is the gospel, and the substance of the gospel, according to the text, is the saving power and imputing righteousness of God. God saves by his power, and he imputes. That means he gives to those who place their faith in Jesus his righteousness. And this is what turned it all on in the heart and mind of Martin Luther. Listen, we need, you need, I need a substitute who not only takes our bad from us, but gives his good to us. One who absorbs the record of God's wrath and releases the power of God's love. Here's how Luther described this verse turning his heart. At last, meditating Day and night, by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through. Open doors into paradise. Those are his words. There's so much I'd like to share with you at this time. But I have to jump ahead. Four years, 1521. If the Reformation began when Luther nailed those 95 theses, it was cemented four years later in Worms. The Diet of Worms. Luther enters Verms for trial. He does so with thousands, plural. Thousands of people cheering him on. And then he stood before the Roman emperor, Charles V, and a large entourage of powerful leaders and princes, and his examiner, John Eck, who, see, they had displayed all of Luther's books And came up with so many errors, or so they said. X said to Luther, do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors that they contain? Now let me tell you something. Whatever you think of Luther, he was a man, and this was a very fearful moment for him. In fact, he asked them they would give him a day to think and pray over, and they did. They granted him a day. All a day did was bring in more people, and they had to move it to a bigger venue. And so the same thing occurred the very next day with all the books laid out. Luther, steady, looked at them with these now very famous words. He said, Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to do so against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. As Erwin Lutzer says, Luther was a flawed man, but a coward he was not. And while the emperor had promised Luther safe passage back to Wittenberg, he would later regret doing so. In fact, uh, Friends of Luther would capture him on his way back just to make sure he was safe, and they whisked him off to Wartburg Castle where he would remain for some time disguised as a janitor, believe it or not, translating the New Testament into German so that the people could get the Bible into their language. And the castle itself would become a metaphor for God's protection in his life because so many had... And so many would die for their faith in Jesus. Luther would not threaten constantly. And his battles against Satan are epic. They're famous. In fact, we sing about it quite often, do we not? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. He wrote those words. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills Prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. You'd never want to end that hymn on that song, that's, That verse, by the way. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be what? Losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask, who may that be? Christ Jesus! It is He! From age to age, the same. He must win the battle, right? That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Years later, a friend struggling with. How to Get the Righteousness of God, wrote to Luther and asked him how he could get it, how he could become a Christian. Listen to these words, and I put them up for you to see them exactly as Luther responded. Luther told him to come to go to Jesus, and from his heart, go to Jesus with these words. Thou, Lord Jesus, art my righteousness, but I am thy sin. Thou hast taken upon thyself what is mine and hast given to me what is thine. Thou hast taken upon thyself what thou hast not and hast given to me what I was not. I'm telling you what, if you understand those words and you prayed them from your heart, you would become a Christian. You would have the righteousness of God as Luther did when he turned to Jesus Christ. Just the other day, uh, my wife and I, working with a, a couple, a young couple, both physical therapists, sharp young couple, both of them very early on recognized they did not have the righteousness of God. And After a series of studies, he texted me this and said, I had to realize that I can't do it on my own, that I needed to admit I wasn't good enough and to get over my pride, and watch this. Only I'd, I'd get over my pride only by getting out of my own way could I accept Christ and his salvation. I'd say that's probably some of your problem. You can't get out of your own way. You just see all the churchy stuff you've done and all the good things you've done, and all the religious stuff you've done. I'm telling you, you just stay like that and you'll go to hell. You will never. Get to heaven on your own or in your own righteousness. You need the righteousness of Christ. As did Luther, so must we. we got to get out of our own way. Because the just shall live, what? By faith. Have you entered in to the faith that will save you? As we heard earlier, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of works. Why? So there's no more bragging. God, we thank you for the life of Martin Luther, and thank you for him and the other reformers who put the Bible back into our hands and helped us to see that our righteousness must come from you because we, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before you. May that humble us. And I pray for those who are here. They've heard testimonies in the baptismal. They heard Denny's testimony. They heard Bill's testimony, both recognizing they were not righteous in and of themselves. They needed your righteousness. And if that would be you, dear friend, you would say, I need this too. Humble yourself and believe the gospel. Jesus died for you. He rose again for you. He has the power to take your sins away. He has the love to give you his righteousness that you so desperately need. And take your unrighteousness. Would you just come to him by faith right now and believe him? If you do, you'll be saved. God, thank you for this wonderful hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.